Genre. In the world of Hollywood, movies get greenlit and redlit. They get remade and rebooted. But we are the ideal. I'm Sam Gash, and you are listening to Ideal Remake. Thank you for listening to Ideal Remake. We take movies that either have been, will be, or should be remade and talk about what the ideal version of that remake would be. Today, we're remaking 1997's The Game, and this episode is tailored specifically to each listener. Think of it as a great vacation, except you don't go to it, it comes to you. And bringing the game to everyone is writer Sean Lavery. So, Sean, is The Game a movie that has been, will be, or should be remade? Hello, uh, it has <laughs> not has been should be or uh whatever those three things were you said it has not it has not been remade there are no plans for Uh it to be remade which means that by definition this is a should be remade yes in the loosest definition of the word i think that this movie should there's there is an argument to be made that like this has been remade before like there are versions of this movie have existed in other ways yes what example for you would pop up? i don't have one but I, li- but I literally was talking with past guest uh, of the movie, past, past guest of the podcast, Kevin Mosterler, last night about this movie, and mm-hmm. he went to a test screening of a movie called The Game, which ended up having a different name, and then this movie started with a different name and became The Game. Right. And like, it's a similar premise of just like people are messing with you to gu- guide to it's the the concept of like this is like. The thrilleriest thriller that's ever thrillered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, one movie that comes to mind, not exactly similar, but like Ready or Not, that horror movie, where yeah. it's like the family has to play a board game, and if they pick the wrong one, they have to murder the person. Mm-hmm. That one, rich people shit, basically. Yeah. And obviously you're going to think like Hunger Games and stuff like that. Just any competition sort of... I mean, any Hallmark um, movie is about a strong, empowered business person who learns that that isn't all there is in life. Very well said. <laughs> that is wonderful, and I think adds to the richness of this film that I have grown to love <laughs> so much in the past three weeks. In the past three weeks? I yes. Feel like, I'm, I feel like you recommended this movie longer than three weeks ago. Well, would you like me to get into the, my, the his, yeah, my please. history? Okay, so. Actually, before we do that, for people who are listening, Sean, who are you? I'm Sean, uh, Sean Lavery. Me and Sam, Sam and I, met on um, the picket line. So I am a professional TV writer, most recently of pilots that uh, no one will ever read. Unless you want me to email the PDF to you. And um, I might. If you want. <laughs> um, that's about it. We're neighbors. I'm a dad. I have an eight-year-old son. And uh, I watch an obsessive amount of movies which is kind of a boring thing to say out here because we all came out here for that. But, but that I is, have the that is the kind of how you ended up on the podcast because we were just randomly just started chatting in line one day, like towards the beginning of the strike, and just like talking about just classic movies. And I think I mentioned that like the only reason, part of the only way I'm getting myself to watch these movies is through the realm of this podcast, and just kind of talked about the podcast mm-hmm. as it exists. But like your knowledge of cinema dwarfs anything that I will potentially ever have. I thank you for remembering that and saying that. I appreciate it. Um, You're welcome. Yeah, so so what is... Why the game? How did you pick the game? Well, I think you'd initially recommended something else, and I was like, well, that's horror. I'm not doing that. And then we landed <sighs> on the game. I did, and I can't remember what that would have been. I'd have to check my Instagram Oh, DMs. you know what? It also might have been um, They Live. 
Which yes. I which I did because I, I did. Yes. They live like season one way back okay. when back when Mike was still a co-host. They live was a movie that I'd thought about, but then I rewatched They Live and my whole theory about that went away. So oh. I didn't think because for a while I was thinking in They Live like maybe we're the bad guys and Roddy Piper just like instantly sees an alien and blows them away without even thinking about it. And John Carpenter very famously is a proud anti-American in the most anti in the most American way possible. I think there's a lot of, you know, cultural and political criticism and that movie is one of them. And I kind of thought like, Oh, is this just about people who without even thinking about it are just like, you're different. But in rewatching it, I'm like, no, there's some things that happened beforehand. We're not quite at Captain Marvel yet, but we will get there. (laughs) The other one I'd recommended was this movie called Pendulum, which is some old, like, George Papard, uh, the guy from the A-Team, like, detective movie that I watched so many movies, I can't even remember everything that it's about. I just remember thinking it was one of those movies that's really cool but missed the mark, and I'm going to sound like an idiot because I don't remember anything about it other than that it made me think of you. (laughs) I mean, honestly, thank you. Uh, So, But we landed on the game. What is? Do you remember the first time you saw the game? And I should specify this is Michael Douglas's... 1997 The Game. I'm sure there are other movies called The Game, but we're talking about that one. and not the long-lived sitcom from the 90s and early 2000s. Sure. (laughs) I probably, so I was and still am like a huge video store nerd. Mm -hmm. I will obsessively watch everything that comes out. So I probably saw it sometime in 1997 when it came out on video. I know I didn't see it in the theater. And I think at the time, I didn't think much of it. I actually don't remember liking it. I was thinking about this a lot. I can't remember if I rented it or if I was still a little bit selective at that time. And then when I went to film school, I became like an uber nerd. And it was like, I don't care about anything that isn't Criterion (laughs) Collection, Art House, like forget the populist stuff. If it came out during my lifetime, I don't want anything to do with it. (sighs) Yeah, I definitely went through a pretentious phase that I I partially want to (laughs) give back, Um, but, but not all the way. But I remember in college... You know, doing the, like, what are your favorite movies? I'm like, well, Christoph Kieslowski's Red is the best movie ever made. And someone was like, Seven. Seven is my favorite movie. And at that time, I remember Seven being an amazing movie, but not one where I was like, it wasn't like Boogie Nights where I was like, this guy, I'm going to follow him forever. Or Bottle mm-hmm. Rocket. I was just like, whoa, this is a crazy, cool serial killer movie. I saw it opening weekend. My whole high school was talking about it. So I'm sure... I watched the game because of that, but I again, I remember that friend telling me Seven was their favorite movie and also loving the game, and I maybe watched it then. So I either saw it right away on video or a few years later in college when someone said it was amazing, and then I watched it and hated it. So I was not a big fan of that movie, and it's one of those movies I love these, like, reclaimed... You know how, like, everyone, like, loves showgirls now? Like, yeah, movies yeah. that were, like, so panned back in the day, but now people are like, you missed the masterpiece of it. I, I've i had a conversation, like, certainly with this season of the podcast, I've talked a little bit about movies that, like, feel like they came out at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. Like, in October, uh, Scott Corelli came out and we remade Heart and Souls, which is a very yeah. sweet movie from 1993, but, like, 
it didn't fit the vibe of 1993. And like the movie itself isn't bad. If anything, I, I really liked it. I thought it was very fun. But if it had come out like a few years earlier, or even a few years later, it probably would have been a much more successful movie. But because has it came out then? No. Or like yes. Last Action Hero came out 10, 15, 20 years too early. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, I think, or even like, um, I'm quoting another podcast that I can't remember, but uh, anything that came out around the time of Pulp Fiction that wasn't like Pulp Fiction was just considered not of its time, even <laughs> if it was good. Sure. So I remember really not liking it, but constantly meeting people who were like, this is this is a masterpiece, or just like really, really liked it. People whose opinions I respect, and I wasn't always like a giant Fincher person at first <laughs> and so honestly the killer came out on netflix a couple weeks ago the michael fassbender yeah. movie uh-huh. and the way my brain works i was like well there's only about 10 david fincher movies and there's a new one coming out i'm gonna see it in the theater with some friends why not watch all of his movies <laughs> from you know beginning to alien 3 to present day that coincided with, I don't know if I should be name dropping other podcasts. Blank Check is also doing Fincher, I think, for that reason. Makes sense. And to me. so that, you know, kind of got a, my brain buzzing a little bit. And as I do, as like a huge nerd who's obsessively logging stuff on Letterboxd and. I'm looking me, through the, the, the cinema, the, the oeuvre of David Fincher yeah. right now on IMDb Pro. And- My wife will be annoyed. I could recite it by memory without... I can't, It's like the one brain power I have. Well, because um, I was thinking... Because like, I watched this movie last night and I was thinking it might be the first David Fincher movie I've ever seen. It's not. Okay. But like, I've only seen Social Network and Her. Her. I'm sorry. He's thanked in Her. Oh, okay, not yeah, as... Yeah. Okay. But yeah, okay. So I've only, I've only seen The Social Network and now The Game. And those are the only David Fincher okay. movies I've seen. Um, well, before I keep going, I'm curious, what did you think of it as someone who didn't watch, hasn't watched a lot of Fincher movies? I I am not the target demographic for this movie. And you'd never seen it before? I'd never seen okay. it before. Gotcha. All, everything I knew about the game, I got from like, oh, why don't we remake the game? Let me look, look do a quick blurb. Thriller, where he signs up to do this game and quickly realizes it's more than he signed up for. Okay, sure, that's fine. That's it. That's all I knew about it. And so I watched it last night. It's very slow and very methodical, which I think is very indicative of David Fincher. Mm -hmm. I am a fast-paced person in general. This is the sort of movie where if I'd been watching it on YouTube, I probably would have hit 1.5 speed. Okay. There are a lot of things about this movie that I think are interesting, but as someone whose day job is finance, there are a lot of flags I can throw on this movie too, but we'll get to that as well. I also... Was I kept thinking the movie was over and then it wasn't, which again, a very David Fincher thing. And I think the way the movie ended is probably the best way it could have ended, to potentially. And I don't know. The problem with me having watched it last night is I don't know if I've had enough time to sit in it. But my initial reaction was that genuinely I didn't really like it. Mm-hmm. But I have a lot to talk about for it. Great. Me too. So I also really didn't like it. And then that was my hot take for a long time of like... I respect your opinion, but I think that movie, this movie is garbage. And I don't know why I came around. Well, I know why I came around to it. So I started watching all of his movies in order just to, for fun. Um, (laughs) So I watched Alien 3 and I was like, 
I get it. He doesn't love that movie either. I will say to his credit, like, even though that movie is not great, if you just say Alien, one of the five images that comes to your mind is probably bald Sigourney Weaver with the alien, like, coming at her face. Yeah, the meme. And that is, that's him. Because, uh, you know, he was a huge music video director before this. Like, off the top of my head, I just know, uh, I think, Express Yourself, Madonna, and Janie's Got a Gun are, like, the two sure. big ones I can think of. Um, but he's done, at that point, probably thousands, not thousands, but, you know, he was not no one when he then made Alien 3. So I went through that, and I was like, okay, whatever. And then 7... I remember that being a big movie in high school, but at that time my brain was not who made this. It was just like, this is cool. I think Brad Pitt was in it. That movie's actually better than I remembered it being. Which is, again, my wife's making fun of me, hot take. Like, yeah, everyone loves Seven. But I was like, no, but it's better than that. Like, I never thought of it as a cop movie as much as I thought of it. I thought of it as a serial killer movie with, like, a gimmick, but it's such a well-done cop movie. Um, And Brad Pitt is so fucking good in that movie as, like, the frustrated frat boy who wants to be a cool detective. It's just amazing. Anyway, so I watched the game, and I was like, I never liked this movie. All my friends who love Fincher are talking about how much they love it. Whatever. And my big thing with it, and I'm sure it was yours too, was like, wait, it's just the game? So the movie is, here's this game, and then you kind of think for a minute that he's not in it, but they're, like, messing with him, and then, oh, the whole thing is just a game? boring i was i remember being so mad when i watched it many years ago for that reason i was like what's the point of that and then watching it this time and i think some of it is you know i'm older we live in a time of a lot of wealth tension and i mean you and i on the picket line i mean we're talking about ceos and yachts every day and the end of this movie struck a very different chord for me this time where i was like Oh, this is just, like, rich people shit. Like, if you told me today, Jeff Bezos goes on an island and pretends to get hunted and killed, and it's, like, a thing they do every year, I'd be like, yeah, they probably do that. And the best part of the movie is, and it's such a 90s thing, and I don't think that, I do think that Fincher was still making a comment on capitalism, although he's really good at just, like, going down the middle and not giving you his opinion about it, but... The end of the movie is very much not like, you know, Jimmy Stewart changed from It's a Wonderful Life or Ebenezer Scrooge being like, Christmas for all, I'm going to give my money away. He's just like, I'm going to work less and enjoy my life. But you're not doing anything with your money. And I love when him and Sean Penn have that little moment where he's like, you want to look at the bill? And he's like, you want to split it? Yeah. And that's kind of (laughs) it. And I'm like, oh my God, these uber wealthy people just spent all this money, used all these resources, crashing a fucking police or a taxi cab into a river. Like, God knows how many people could have been killed. And no one cares. And at the end, they're just, like, applauding this man who's been transformed. And I bought the Criterion Blu-ray, which I could not watch because my DVD player was broken. I was really bummed out about it. But there's a great essay inside talking about how a lot of this movie is about obsession. Because at no point does he ever say, stop, I'm done. Or, like, have a safe word. Because he wants to keep going. And so part of me is like, flash forward, like, three months later from this movie. He's going to be, like, bragging about... My other favorite part in the movie is when he's on the bus in Mexico, like, going back. He's probably at some country club, in that, like, beautiful country club locker room that he's in. Just like, guys... 
I was surrounded by a bunch of pores, and it was amazing. And I felt <laughs> like a poor person. You've got to do it. And I feel like he would keep trying to do it or be obsessed with figuring out. Because the other thing about this movie, I, it didn't even dawn on me until this watch, was you have no idea how this operates. Or, like, who does the game. Or, and I know I've jumped ahead and not really, we didn't really get to describe the plot. Is that going to bump everything? The plot largely is, Michael Douglas is a, an investment banker who just kind of, like, goes through the motions of his everyday. Uh, you find out that his dad killed himself on his birthday, like his eighth birthday or something, years yes. ago. And it's like, oh, man, he's got this deep personal tragedy. It sure would be a shame if he got therapy about it. But instead of doing that, his younger brother, Sean Penn, comes and goes, I got this amazing gift for you. It's called The Game. CRS is going to run this crazy game for you. And basically, they just start fucking with him in every sort of sense of the word. Like, he comes home and finds, like, a dead clown body on his driveway in the same place where his dad mm. killed himself. And just, like, basically just, like... You go through the next hour and a half of the movie not knowing what's real, what's not, and it turns out none of it is real. Everything has been orchestrated to, like, slowly push him to the very edge to the point where at the very end of this movie, he himself jumps off the top of the skyscraper, which is the... Him falling through the air is the cover of the Criterion Collection, and the cover of the DVD that I have that I got from Bookman's a couple days ago is Michael Douglas, like, different puzzle pieces being put Mm -hmm. in his head. And basically it's just, like... It's this it, this massive rich person company psychoanalyzed and tore apart Michael Douglas to like the very bare bones so that he's nothing left. And then they're like, haha, buddy, you, we got you." They push him to the point of trying to kill himself. He, and pull- then he comes out to everyone congratulating him. And it's like this amazing party, which is also fucked up where it's like they made someone try to kill themselves. Yeah. And like literally one of the actors, Jim Feingold, the character has a moment where he says, I'm sure, I sure I'm glad you jumped off that building. Otherwise my role is I was supposed to throw you. And by the way, he needs a posthumous best supporting actor nomination for this movie. So I good. love him in it. He is like the image, that scene where he explains it, even though he's not explaining it, either Chinese food. I, that to me, like when someone says the game, I don't know why that moment always pops into my head is just, that scene with him. And the thing that I didn't pick up the first few times watching it is when he's signing up for the game and then like kind of hemming and hawing, they're like negging him the whole time. Mm -hmm. Like the woman like shushes him while she's on the phone. And then they're like, there's another part where they're like, Oh, they say something where it's like, they make it like something he needs to have. Like hearing the guys in the locker room, there's just the thing about remaking it. All of those moments would be so, like, elevated and accentuated where it's a little bit, and and maybe it's just because I am not smart when I first watch movies, but, like, it took me a minute to see those little moments of, like, him just not getting his exact way is actually why he's, like, like, really not a good person at all. Well, it's also the element of, like, he's a rich person who literally can have absolutely everything he wants at all times forever, and the fact it's the it's the whole like super rich people signing up for like a dominatrix of someone to be like oh i'm putting you in a position that you and your life will never ever be in and like for whatever reason like that really pings with their brain of like the novelty of the experience yes and my wife brought this up this morning she loves this movie more than i do which is like one of her she was like you don't love this movie and i was like i'm coming around to it and then this morning (laughs) i was like i think it's actually a masterpiece (laughs) (laughs) I mean, as I already said, like, if you told me Mark Zuckerberg hunts humans, like, 
am I going to say that's not possible? Like, of course. Like, you never know. I mean, we don't know what happens in Bohemian Grove. Those moments were where I just, I thought, like, even, and this was before I loved this movie. I was not prepared to come in here, like, so passionately, like, I'm so glad I own this Criterion Collection. <laughs> but I was just like, wow, our society has shifted so much now. Like, the point of view, the, the audience's point of view watching that in the 90s I don't know if it would have been more sympathetic, but we weren't thinking about it in the same way that even like bad comparison when Man of Steel and Avengers came out and suddenly everyone's like, look at all the destruction Superman did to that city. That's yeah. like about millions of dollars worth of buildings. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I never thought of it like that. But like for one man's like sort of drive to have his mind be opened means like making an expensive city or playground. If you think of that in modern context, like... It's gross. Yeah. And and not not sympathetic at all. Like, I kept thinking, like, what if someone else was in that car? Or what if... I mean, yeah, sure, the gun has blanks, but what if someone heard it and had a heart attack? It's just all these things that... There's a world where it is selfish. And, and Fincher might be saying that better than I ever could, because... Every step of the way, like I said, like, Michael Douglas isn't like, I actually want to stop. How do I stop? He's, like, trying to figure it out. And then he's like, you took my money... No way. And so there's sort of our culture is shifted enough that I do think it's just an interesting movie to revisit for that reason. I mean, it is popular now, like White Lotus and Succession are very much like we're all making fun of rich people. There's also an element to the 90s did very much glorify the the, the powerful investment business. It's like the whole uh, greed is good mentality. Exactly. Which is exactly yeah. what, is, like is who him, that yeah. character is, and then later, you know, is. But like, I feel like our opinions of that type of person, as you say, and completely correctly, has changed. So yeah, I do think we would. It, the question is, did Fincher view those people with the same disdain? Disdain. Thank you. Uh, that we have for them now, then, or was it just well? This is kind of the the, the people we're glorifying right now. Let's take those people down a peg, regardless of just like the general disdain we'd be heading towards. I would say yes and no, personally, only because no one can predict the future of like sure. where our mindset's going to go. But I do think, that... unless you're that one guy in the foundation, right? <laughs> but I think that that he he certainly seems to be criticizing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. But at the same time, that's where, like, the best movies only age well with our mindset. Because I can watch this movie now, and whether or not he meant to do that, I'm still like, oh, wow. Like, that's... It's done very subtly here, but again, the Sean Penn-Michael Douglas moment of, like, you want to split the bill? That's it? Like, there's no, like, I almost fucking died, man. I killed myself. (laughs) I thought I shot you. They're just, like... It, it's very much like, oh, this was such an exhilarating experience. I, 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 I do think that there is maybe a little disdain in there. I, I, I don't know. Because a lot of his movies, The Killer especially, is very much about filmmaking. And his big thing in that is like, I have no opinion. I have my mission. Okay. <laughs> like, like, basically The Killer is like David's venture saying like directing is like being a hitman. Um, <laughs> and so I... I don't know, but I think that they... I mean, look, he cast Michael Douglas coming off of, well, many movies, but mostly known for, as you said, Wall Street and Fatal Attraction. 
So you want an Oscar for Wall Street playing like one of the most glorified but dangerous villains in 1980s cinema. Michael Douglas' Fatal Attraction, very much someone that we sympathized with. But if you rewatch that movie, he's a fucking monster. And it's right there in every scene. Anything Glenn Close does to him, he does to her first. Mm-hmm. If you think about it. Like, yeah. in a subtle way. He doesn't, like, boil an animal, but he, like, fakes a heart attack. And then she... He does all sorts of crazy stuff. He is so vile in that movie in the best way possible that I almost feel like if I needed to give David Fincher more credit than he would deserve, like, you pick the perfect guy. Yeah. But most likely, just at the top of their head, they're like, we want Gordon Gecko. That just makes perfect sense. Of so, course. Yeah. So then, well, now we have to talk about what we want to do. Like, our version mm-hmm. of the game. How, how do we remake this? I'll get us started with some of my notes just from someone who uh, understands some finance. First of all, if uh, Michael Douglas is an investment banker who has offshore accounts or he's just keeping $600 million, he's terrible at his job. Just in terms of money, there is no rich person who just has all of their money sitting in a bank account somewhere. That's Mm -hmm. not how rich people work. That's not how investment bankers work. And when that was kind of what was happening, I was like, that... That was a moment that took me out of the movie in the okay. sense that I'm like, well, that's that's not reality. That's not how any of this works. And you can make an argument that, like, he does investment banker stuff for work, so why would he do that stuff at home? And it's just, But that's just simply how it goes. The only people who are able to successfully rob rich people are people like Bernie Madoff or Elizabeth Holmes mm-hmm. are the people who tell these rich people that they have investments for them. So that these rich people get money from other investments and put it in theirs. And then it turns out those investments don't exist. And then it goes away. That is how you rob rich people. Is getting them to... Like, there are no rich people. Like, some people will keep walking around money and and liquid cash for, like, just daily life. But their vast fortunes are tied up in other things. Often behind walls of money managers who are expressly there to prevent exactly this sort of situation from happening. Right. So you're saying that someone that wealthy in real life, if they get the phone call that like your account's been drained, that, that that's not something that could actually happen. That it, it could be something that would happen, but it would be worst case scenario, $50,000. And they'd be like, well, that sucks. What happened? Yeah. And then they would just get another $50,000 from their investments. And you don't think that maybe, I I would say maybe I do this all the time, I'm sure you do too as a writer, where it's like, I'll be like, I'm not being lazy writer, but let's just put, I call it like the mosquito and the ember thing. Like, there's no way that actually makes sense in Jurassic Park, but it's like, just give us enough to make us not think about it. And so I wonder if their creative choice was that throwaway throwaway line where um, Deborah Carr Unger is like, They've got everything. They've got your voice, your fingerprints. Like we, sure. Like basically that line of like we did all of this stuff. So anything you have, we've been able to vacuum it out of you somehow. And I really enjoyed the line where it's like we did the psych evaluation so we could figure out what your passwords right, right, were. And right. honestly, that's the sort of thing where theoretically now that would work because everyone has their like crazy eighteen mm-hmm. bit whatever passwords that that uh, Google Chrome recommended. But you still have to be able to get into Google Chrome and then you just have all that mm-hmm. all the person's passwords. Or you find the Excel spreadsheet they have on their computer where they keep all their passwords. Like, there are... I, I know a lot about passwords too. And it's uh, the 
honestly having a series of random digits but it's only eight characters long Mm -hmm. a computer can break that in like 30 seconds but if you have three words and it's like 20 characters long it will take a computer decades to break that password it's honestly the fact that we got into this like it has to be this crazy convoluted thing that's impossible to remember doesn't actually vibe with anything related to computers am i gonna ruin my life because i don't do that (laughs) no it doesn't matter okay also i'm trying not to laugh i think you should make a t-shirt that says i know a lot about passwords (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i mean i learned everything i know about passwords from the comic xkcd but so my pitch for who our nicholas van orton should be as an investor is someone who isn't like an investment banker because fuck those guys and also we kind of like already hate them but i think that that's fine i want to go with someone who invests in property that's so funny i was thinking sort of the same thing because i was i mean first of all i want to ask a sensitive question as someone who works in finance do you find it insulting that finance is like the russians of modern cinema where like you're constantly the enemy in every... Not at all. Okay. You're uh, fine with it. Because I'm not right. the... the. I'm basically doing, like, little custodial work. Okay. And most of the people I work for are not rich. But I have worked for some very rich people. And I have seen how they handle their money. And that's why, I, that's why okay. I'm like, oh, well, this, does, this movie doesn't make sense at all. So you're not credit default swapping the day away. You're Correct. Like... <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm not trying to short anything, which I think as a concept should be illegal, but whatever. But so my, my pitch for who uh, Nick Van Orton is, is someone who invests in different prop. Oh, I had a client. I don't have this client anymore who intentionally invested and bought risky properties and like rented them out for as long as he could until like he eventually had to evict the, like literally planned on evicting the people who were renting from him. Fuck this guy. But literally this was a guy who was like, 80 something years old and he continued to do it because his brother did the same thing and the only way these two brothers communicated with each other was by trivial stupid one-upmanship of like i made this much money on this deal i made that much money on that deal and that's how they communicated as people that was their relationship and it was fucked but like literally that's all he did is he just bought risky properties until they uh until they were a problem evicted the people sold it moved on Right. And the thing that's so interesting you bring that up, I was sort of on a similar parallel path because I was like, okay, this movie takes place in San Francisco. San Francisco in the 90s was not emblematic of what it is today. Which is the, like now, it sort of is considered to, when you're thinking about uh, finance bros and tech bros, like the epicenter of where the evil is. Yep. In some ways. And I was like, well, that's interesting that from the game San Francisco to now, it's evolved to that. And having just been in San Francisco, one thing that my wife and I noticed, and this is happening in every major city, the city hasn't lost... I mean, by the way, I did like three touristy things, so I could be way off base. I apologize, (laughs) San Francisco. That city hasn't really lost its character, but at the same time, you walk around, and everything that adds to the character of the city seems like an empty window that's just an Airbnb. And I was like, oh... These Airbnb-type people, which you could trace back to, like, venture capitalists, real estate, are buying up huge amounts of property and making it not a livable neighborhood full of life. Yep. It's a painting. Yeah. 
and you know all those painted ladies that we would see. I didn't know that was a type of house until yeah. three days ago. I'm like the no full one's living the in full there. house house yeah. is a is a painted lady. You don't see a tricycle outside. You don't see a clothesline. You see maybe a flat screen TV and the painting that everyone owns from Target deep on the wall. It just didn't look lived in. There is a world where. I mean, put it this way, the person who invented Airbnb, probably you could trace that money back to, and this is not an educated assessment, but like some mega venture capitalist in San Francisco. You absolutely who, can. And, and they are destroying neighborhoods. They're, just, they're destroying the concept of having a home. And, and it's one of those things that we all bought into. I mean, I use Airbnb. I mean, I'm sure it's just interesting that it's gotten... Greedy, I guess, to the point of, like, all these houses and places just get bought up. I mean, if you go to Venice Beach and you walk on the strip there, if you walked on the strip there in the 60s, it's probably really fun. And now (laughs) you're just like, these are all very expensive vacation rentals. That's it. And it looks like Venice Beach, but it's not there. And so there is something sort of interesting and greedy there. That's where my mind was going to because I was like, I like San Francisco and all of these companies i mean you could argue all of them facebook twitter airbnb any any of those started off with good intentions and mushroom clouded into something that we are like this is why we're headed for fucking disaster (laughs) i mean it's genuinely nice to believe that they started with good intentions when uh, if you go back and listen to a lot of them oftentimes they expressly don't like take uber like literally they wanted to be the only people doing transportation Mm -hmm. like their goal was to wipe out all other industries and they would be the only one like that's their that was their stated at inception goal that's a separate conversation for our purposes for our movie i think our guy needs to be the kind of property investor the sort of person who goes and does all these property investments and it needs to be bleak and boring he can he can be someone who invests in skyscrapers and luxury hotels and buildings and just like different pieces of all these different properties And then finally, when you get to his home, because any home that he lives in where he thinks he can make more money renting it out, selling it, doing whatever, he does that until finally his home is just like a room. Mm -hmm. And I find like he like we can have a comment on just like he is so focused on making money and every single thing is an investment that the only way he's able to allow himself to live is if it's in something that isn't an investment. There's also an element of, like, we can just have him living in also the kind of, like, lap of luxury of, like, he invests in a, we could do the Trump thing of, like, he invests in a luxury condominium building and he gets the entire top floor. But I think for our purposes, we can have him investing in different properties and, like, talking about different properties and, like, take money out of this, bulldoze this, make this better. And as we go through the movie, he can remember that he has different properties in different locations And when he tries to go to those properties, we can find that they're an empty lot. There's something he didn't think. And we can, like, our version of fucking with the main character can be, he bought all these properties, but he never spends any time with them. He never visits Mm -hmm. them. He doesn't know anything really about them other than their dollar value on paper. And so when he actually finally is forced to go take the time to go visit this property, he learns that it doesn't exist. Or something else is there that isn't the thing he invested in. Or um, to take uh, a page out of How I Met Your Mother, so much time was spent with no one living there that something entirely, uh, Lily's, uh, it was Marshall and Lily, right? 
Lily's apartment got turned into a restaurant. She goes back for the first time after years and it's like, there's a restaurant in my apartment. Oh my God. And then she realizes like they're using her silverware as like the stuff for the mm-hmm. restaurant. She's like, you weren't here for so long and the other stuff popped up. Yeah, I I think just the notion of a real estate mogul in some way is a good... I, I don't always love uh, eliciting Trump specifically, but I think yeah. that that's good. I mean... Y- it's what we've already been talking about. Like, you could make the correlation between Michael Douglas in this movie and Trump, but well, you weren't we weren't thinking to avoid, about billionaires that yeah. way. If we want to avoid Trump, we can make it that this guy is the founder or the CEO of an Airbnb-style company. Oh, and but I don't necessarily think avoiding him is, you know, in the right way. I mean, what you're saying is basically, in a good way, what I think is in this movie already. It's like sure. he lives in this huge, lavish house. There's just nothing in it. It's very muted. It's he, also very he, funny. He just eats, like, sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> he he has this massive mansion. It occupies maybe two or three rooms. And there's nothing in it other than, like, a gigantic painting when he walks down the stairs that's like, who needs yeah. that? Um, he, he has like, it's, and it's, and it, it's his childhood home. Like he obviously is, he comes from money and he's just yes, lived in the same house his yeah. entire life. Right. Well, and there's something interesting to the idea of like being in real estate for not the most altruistic reasons, but then not actually having your own home anyway, because you don't actually care about that. All yeah. you care about is the next destroying thing. Or, I mean, yeah. And, no emotional... It's like all the different people who are like, well, I, there's this amazing historical L.A. landmark. Let's put a Walgreens there. I, I do think it would be interesting if the main character is... I don't know how, what what the correct terminology you would use, but is connected to this original movie. Like, not a sequel, but, like, he is related to Michael Douglas. And there's sort of an evolution of the game as it existed in the 1997 movie to what the modern remake would be. I don't think you necessarily need to make the main character related to Michael Douglas. You just use the same company. You use CRS and you right. say that they've been operating since 1997. Interesting. Okay. Cause I, cause I, I definitely had... did not cast a white guy. Right. Okay. I, I definitely, I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud. Only thought of white people because they're supposed to be emblematic. Of... Yes. I didn't think of only white people in the, in the Van Orton clan, I was more like, yeah. it's a good comment on who it we are is. right now. Like, I, did, I did the same thing when we were remaking The Candidate uh, a couple months ago of, like, kind of the whole purpose of the whole thing is that, like, they pick him because he's a white guy. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, for The Candidate, that makes sense. I feel like if we want to talk about money, I feel like we can talk about money without necessarily also talking about race. Mm-hmm. And just, like, the whole rich white man sure. of it all and but you're right like we'll go, we'll get into it when we talk yeah. about casting because i'm sure both choices are valid i was just kind of going for vibes of the actor but was mm-hmm. very specifically looking for not white people because again it's a right. exclusively white movie i i was again, also going for vibes and you you've been doing this way longer than me so you're you're more of i'm the, uh, often wrong okay i mean i'm just here to be the human imdb you're doing so good <laughs> But like, okay, so we have we have this real estate mogul. I don't think we need to start with the image of this childhood trauma of the father killing himself in front of him. But I feel like we can do some other childhood trauma. I don't know what it would be. I yeah, I was thinking about that. I don't know if this is a good idea of like, <laughs> no, uh, like this this guy's dad was killed playing the game. 
But I think that's too far. There's a lot it's of... Also, it's also too insular because then we realize... Because, like, you can't get to the... Because you spend this whole movie like, oh my god, this is a real threat. And then you get to the very end and it's, very end and it's like, no, it wasn't. And if someone right. actually died, that diminishes everything. Well, I have, an, I have an idea for that. Because I actually think that this movie should end with the person not being a good person. And yeah. And you realize that they are still... I agree. Sort of like the end of Ready or Not, where you think the guy's, like, helping his wife the whole time, and at the very end, he's, like, gonna kill her. And you're like, oh, wait, you were a fucking asshole the whole time. Right. Well, um, like, that, the, the, I thought the movie was gonna be gearing towards, like, making Michael Douglas a better person. Because, like, it gives you the thing yeah. you need. And the thing he needed was empathy, which he didn't have. And the, like, because there's the moment where he's in the bathroom and the dude's, like, asking if he can, like, get some toilet paper and Michael Mm -hmm. Douglas walks away. And I thought it was going to be, like, a series of more things where we get to the end of the movie and, like, he learns to be a better person. But then, like, the only reason he helps the person who, the dude who collapses is because Christine is there. Yeah. And that's, I think, the great trick of this movie is that the end, on the surface, they make you think that he has changed. And it's only incremental, but he actually no. has not. This, especially because, like, this person loses everything, and then a m- moments later finds out he hasn't. And in fact, all of those things are celebrating the person that he is, not any right. changes or anything that he made. It's absolutely a story about a guy who, as exactly as you said, will then tell everyone he's ever met, oh my god, the game is so, like, it changed my life, as he does the exact same thing. And imagine a world where it changes his life for a couple years, and then his girlfriend dies in a helicopter accident or some other rich person thing. And then, you know, you need another sort of pick-me-up, so to speak, or another, like, moment of clarity that can only come from a shock to the system that requires an eye-goggling amount of money. Yeah. I, I got really stuck on thinking about, like, Okay, so this happens in 1997. Pretend that CRS, like, still exists. How would it evolve to 2023? Beyond the fact that, like, Occupy Wall Street type people, with the, with social media, it would, there would potentially be a, like, do you see this crazy stuff that people are doing? So I don't know if it would have to be, like, more insular or more secretive, but, like, if this existed for real, there's no way there wouldn't be, like, a podcast about it right now. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like this is one of those things where this is rich people shit. Mm-hmm. And it's the sort of thing that doesn't trickle down. And, like, there's the actors and the NDAs of it all. Yeah. But that it stuff gets out. Right. There is a fun world where it is still very secretive, for yeah. sure. It, but it's, it's like, you get to, for lack of a better example, like, the, the fucking Epstein planes. Mm-hmm. Where, like, it's one of those things where it's just, it's kind of a known secret. But there's nothing that really anyone does about it. And if anything, the best part about CRS is that there's this swath of people who make the game. And it is a bunch of people getting paid. They are getting money from rich people to do this thing. Mm -hmm. The best part about CRS is that it is a lot of working class people getting paid to do a job, which otherwise wouldn't happen. Like, there's the whole, there was a whole interview with some, like, the good billionaire where he talked about, he's like, I don't need to buy all that much things. Like, I'm paying my employees as much as I can, but, like, just, I still have a fuck ton of money. I only need two pairs of jeans. It's not like I'm constantly going and spending money. And, like, the way you help the economy, the way, other than, like, getting the government to tax these people is getting them to spend money in ways that isn't an investment. So... The problem with a lot of rich people is that they're locking their money away in investments, 
businesses, buildings, property, all these different things that ideally would be for everybody, but they're locking their money away, which t- removes it from the economy, which makes everything more expensive and bad. But the best part about the game is that it forces them to spend the money. I think the best thing we can do is we have this game where this person goes through this entire experience and then we show that their life goes back to exactly the way it used to be. But then we also show that they get addicted to the adrenaline of the game and we are going to have them keep signing up to do the game yeah. more. They, they start chasing the dragon of the adrenaline of it all and that's what actually right. diminishes their wealth. That is very well said. And I will. I want to pull out this the liner notes from the Criterion Blu-ray oh, that I well. bought. Oh, did you, did you buy the Criterion collection? Yes. Oh, I weird. bought this. Oh, weird. Uh, did I already say that four times? <laughs> but they mention the mystery of what CRS is and that like the only clue you really get is in the moment when he goes back into his house and there's like all the spray paint everywhere. And it says, you know, there's a few things that dig at him being a finance guy. Um, Also, I just love that it's very quick when they pan through all the graffiti. It says fuck boy above his. Does it really? (laughs) Yeah. I think I missed that one. It's really good. But they're like, maybe this is some, like, old countercultural group who's, like, it's their way of, yeah. like, getting back at the wealthy, but by getting them to, like, give them money. And yeah. it's that and the, the White Rabbit song is, like, the only, like, sure. those two clues. And then if you really want to frame fuck it, at the very end in the in the congratulation when he falls under the mat, there's one man with like a wizard beard that just like <laughs> really stands out. I mean, I'm sure it's just like, it's San Francisco, who cares? But there's just one guy there where it's like, what's Allen Ginsberg doing at this finance guy's <laughs> party? Is he the one CRS man? He's like some old electric Kool-Aid acid test guy who like created this thing to like fuck with rich people. And they're like, haha, you're giving us your money. But I don't know. Anyway, we're I'm pretty sure the person the who ran page. CRS was the dude at the beginning who pointed to the fact that the pen had leaked Okay. because he's the one accepting the bill from uh, uh, Conrad at the you end. I think so. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think the wonderful thing about it is that no one knows. And there's like, who's, and I like the mystery of it, of like, who's mm-hmm. communicating with who? Because obviously behind the scenes, there's like someone talking to Sean Penn, like, okay, you're going to yeah, put yeah. this on, they're going to shoot you. And I love that you never... And that's the stuff I bumped at when I first saw it. I was like, this is all garbage. And now for some reason, I love it. Like, how um, could... This is so improb- improbable. Which is the whole point. Yes. But improbable, like... but also just the lavishness of it is really... Again, I'm sorry if I'm talking circles. Like, where, like, a modern day real estate mogul would want it. It's sort of like how in Silicon Valley, the joke is they always want to do the the ostentatious garbage thing yeah like they always want the cliche tech billionaire thing they think that's cool and because it's uh an echo chamber of them just shouting at each other like they for them it is cool because they don't have any other experiences it's like the people who invented fucking soylent literally all they wanted to do was working and they is, is work and they hated how Taking a break to eat food got in the way of their hustle culture. That's real. That's why they invented Soylent. Uh, You know, food, the thing that should bring everybody joy. But, like, whatever. I think what our big, like, we set up this whole thing where this person thinks they lost all their money, and then it turns out they didn't. But then, but, like, we kind of suggest that while they didn't lose all their money, 
they're now addicted to the adrenaline and the excitement of this game that they will spend all of their money chasing the dragon mm-hmm. of that. And like the only way we're able to get the money out of these phenomenally wealthy people because the government's not going to tax them and do the things they're supposed to do is by setting them up to willingly give it back to the working class and the lower class. Mm-hmm. Not the working class and the working class is lower class. Start funneling it back in. Like it's not trickle down. We have, we have to break the dam. Okay. And it's, so it spills out water metaphors. I like, I like metaphors. Yeah. And would like blackmail do that? I'm just trying to no, think of ways that aren't like specifically well, exactly like this one. Cause that's the other fun thing. If we keep the legacy of CRS, it's like a whole new game. Well, that, that, like, that's what I'm trying to get around because yeah. the, the, the movie that we have ends with him having everything he ever had still mm-hmm. at the beginning and not really being a changed man. I think that we can, we can lean on that of them, not him, not really yeah. being a changed man, except that he had this exp- this singular experience and if there's one thing rich people want, it's more. And I have a very dark pitch for what I think that could be, and I don't know. If I want to hear knows. that in a second, but okay. like the reason why I don't want it to be blackmail is because yeah, okay. I think it's more interesting if the person gives it up willingly. Because if it's right. blackmail, then they can still fight back against sure, it. Sure, sure, sure. But if they're addicted to the experience, okay. then they are going to that like like any okay. other addict. They're they're going to give up their money. In order to do this thing. So until eventually they have nothing left. But that's only implied. Like, we never see that. Right. You're pushing... You're saying this person is, like, pushed to be altruistic, even though... Not, not altruistic. Okay. They okay. they are still so hyper-focused and fixated on their own joy, their own entertainment... Okay. Okay. That they're no longer obsessed with just hoarding all the money. They're obsessed right, with right. having the experience. And because of that, they don't notice that their hoard of money is being okay. drained in order to fund the experience. Okay. And then in the end, in that version, would it be like you actually didn't lose all your money? You're just no, no, no. The, okay. I, the, this is this is my moral at the end what's oh, being implied. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Okay. This is I what's being implied okay. at the end of the movie. Like, I still think the game itself needs to exist. Yeah. It's very similar to the way it exists here yeah. of... We're fucking with this guy. We're making him realize. We're thinking, like, he's the real estate mogul. He goes to the different places and realizes that all of the buildings are gone. Mm-hmm. But then we get to the end and, like, oh, no, you still have all your money. Everything's great. You just paid for a game. Right. It's fine. Well, and within that, my dark pitch is that I I think it would be fun if he killed someone. And they're like, this isn't part of the game. You fucked up. But then somehow we get to the end of, like... Oh no, that was a part of the game. You, you, yeah, you got to murder someone, and he's like exhilarated by that, yeah. which is a really dark like. And maybe that's a little cliche of like billionaires on islands hunting homeless people, but at the same time, like, what more unattainable thing is there than actually taking a life? You know what I mean? And there's right. just something like gross about that. I don't know. Maybe that's too far, but I just thought, well, you like, think about a movie called The Game, and part of you thinks it's going to be about the most dangerous game. Yes. Well, and there are a few moments in this movie where. Like, he almost kills the girl at the very end, and then he thinks he kills Sean Penn. And there's just, like, a few scenes of, like, oh, he could have done some real damage. And I kept thinking, like, what if he actually hurt someone? Like, after the fact? Like, what would... I mean, I don't know how you get around that, but, like... Well, no, I think that's There's true. just something dark about, like, you you got away with murder. Well, yeah, no, like, exactly right. that. And then he's like, let's... He's I agree. Upset. But I also think it does need to be part of the game where we then see that that person is fine at the end. Like, I feel like the thing with the brother at the end where he finally oh, kills the brother, okay. as exactly you're saying, it happens earlier. And, like, get addicted to the energy, rich people, mm-hmm. bullshit, whatever. 
but then we we learn that that's a part of the game but like it's still this addictive thing of like i got okay. to do this most amazing thing and i got away with it i think you're exactly and I, right. I was taking it one step further of like it's real he actually kills someone <laughs> i i feel like we can't do that because i feel like the nature of the movie as it exists is that everything that happens including the the he could have stepped off any direction off of the roof of that building, right. but he stepped off cor- in the exact correct mm. place. Is that this person has been manipulated and guided from step right. one? Oh, and I'm saying he, he's doing that because they want to give him the experience of killing someone, right. not that it was like well, a total and, accident. and no, I agree yeah. with that. I'm saying that that's right. true, but, but I think it needs to be lives. part okay. of the game. Like, even at the end when they're going, they're behind the door with cake. He's got a real gun. It's all just a thing. He's got a real gun. And then he kills someone because, like, oh, my God, he had a real gun. And there is some darkness to that if it doesn't have, like, because it happens at the very end of this movie where it's just that quick, like, oh, I killed my brother. I'm going to kill myself. Yeah. But there is something dark about watching a character, like, come to grips with being okay that they murdered someone. Yeah. And then, like, oh, you're alive. (laughs) Yeah. But exa- exactly that, of right. like that excitement, that thrill, and knowing that they can't get that thrill anywhere else other than the game. Right. And I think like we can even play with the fact of CRS. They played with it a little bit where the cab is run by a company that also has CRS as their logo, but it mm-hmm. said something else. I don't remember what it oh, was. Okay. And it's just like, because there, we can even, I don't know how we would do this, but it's one of those things where it gets implied where... The world is run by CRS. The world is run by mm-hmm. CRS. And that can kind of even be true where the like the governments aren't doing the things they're supposed to be doing. CRS is the only one who's actually getting money from the places that it's locked and into the economy to actually help the people. Mm-hmm. Like, And you can do anything you want with the CRS letters of just whatever anagrams you want of like, people hear about it, but they don't know yeah. about it. Oh my gosh, you're a rich person? We're going to tell you what it really is. Well, and I would imagine this company, there would be, you know, powerful politicians. Oh, for sure. done it. And I like the vagueness of it. And that's why they get away with it. Because powerful politicians have done it. It changed their life. And they're never going to let anything stop people from getting to have this experience so they can talk about it at their country clubs. And and I, I, again, heard this on another podcast recently. Like, the vagueness of the alien company in all the alien movies like yeah, you never yeah. meet that company but you just it's clearly so evil because they keep wanting to make this alien yeah <laughs> but you never you never have the movie that's like let's go there i mean we get close with the guy pierce thing there's something fun and dark and mysterious about this like not really ever knowing what this like clouded yeah. very high powerful thing is and well, i think even you're right to the extent I, of we never know we never meet the guy in charge i'm pretty sure it's the dude at the end who yeah. accepts the bill and walks away because like the movie even has a thing where michael douglas like makes a face and then looks back at him mm-hmm. i think for the movie heavily implying that that is the guy in charge but we live in a very technological digital age yeah. where a thing can come up on the person's phone and they hold their credit card up to the phone bill paid and you never know who's in charge Mm -hmm. i think that's more interesting like the only thing we're missing in this movie is uh, a smartphone instead of the 1997 cell phone that he Mm -hmm. does have and like that smartphone being manipulated and hacked and all the different things of course which of course are things that would happen like hell he might have apple pay and he never even uses a credit card he literally just might interact with his entire life through the same cell phone and when he goes to pay stuff he taps with the cell phone he does all of that this is literally his entire life and so if they got access to that, that's it. So, yeah, I, I think we kind of have our 
our loose interpretations of what we want to do with the movie itself, I think we should move on to casting that movie because that'll kind of inform who we want these people to be. So let's talk about Nicholas Van Orton. It sounds like you cast a white guy. I did not. Um, Who did you have? Who did you envision being the emblematic symbol of modern wealth? I had a long list. Well, you're going to have to pick one. Yeah. The best version of what's on my list, which is maybe not the most bankable, would be Robert Pattinson or Alden Ehrenreich. Yeah, And Alden Ehrenreich, because that movie Fair Play that just came out, that's pretty good, but then kind of goes off the rails in the end. It's a very Michael Douglas-y role. It is. Did you see it? No. And it's like, he's a finance guy, and like, you know, there's a lot of actors out there now that like... Like, even, like, DiCaprio, even though he can do that, you know things like, well, he's really into, like, helping the environment. Like, just things where, like, you can't not see the backstory of who they are. I'm not saying that he's a perfect human being, but I was trying to find someone that has, like, movie star quality, but doesn't have an inherent backstory. Whereas, like, Michael Douglas just exuded that, like, kind of sleaziness back then. Yeah. And we don't have that anymore. Yeah, like, theoretically, if you wanted that kind of sleaziness, the person you'd cast is Tom Cruise, because you know there's the whole secret society behind him. Very true. And that's not a bad idea. I don't want that, because I don't... I don't ever want to cast a Tom Cruise in a movie I'm working on. Well, I would... I mean, if I had to pick, I would... I would, um... I mean, Robert Pattinson is a bit of a bigger, and he just has that, like... He could have that sort of... He does. He could plop himself into the cast of Succession. And the be... thing that I find very interesting is that you cast a lot younger than Michael Douglas is in the movie. I know, because I couldn't think of anyone... I didn't want to. I had older names, but I, I couldn't but a lot think of, people of anyone who that at exuded that level. all of that. Yeah. yeah. Like, the, I, I, I will agree that casting Nicholas Van Orton was the toughest role to recast. Mm. And I definitely spent, like, an hour just digging through, trying to figure out what exactly I wanted to do with it. Because you want someone who's famous, but not too famous, because mm-hmm. then it becomes about that. And I don't necessarily love casting A-listers, although I did a, a fair amount with this cast. And I'm just like, I, I want someone who... And that's why I was like, I kind of just ended up going for vibes. Mm-hmm. So, Michael Douglas in this movie... He's playing 48. It's his 48th birthday. But in the movie, he is 53. So he's playing five yeah. years younger. Whatever. The, I, don't, I don't particularly care about the age that he's portraying in the movie, but the age that he was is 53. Because he's someone who's kind of like lived this life. He got married. He got divorced. He kind of has watched his whole life pass him by. While all he cares about is this one thing and is basically just empty. And I kind of think that that mattered a little bit in the sense that just like you want someone who has done this for so long that they've been wearing down this rut of living a life for so long that they they can't pivot mm-hmm. and alden Ehrenreich is what 28 he's young yeah and uh uh other name robert Pattinson. thank you probably, robert yeah. robert Pattinson. i think is a better choice because i think that he he absolutely can play wealthy and like we know him as like coming from a big ostent- yeah. a, a ostentatious family but what I went for is I went for someone who we're all kind of aware of, but we also kind of know him as kind of like the, he, he, the most recent thing I saw him in was After Party, where he's like, woo, I'm the fun guy. Okay. But we, we've also seen him be like Harold, where he's the guy with the stick up his butt. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking John Cho. Okay. Because I think John Cho can be very much just like, 
this is the life I'm living. I'm earning some more money, and I'm going. If you're going to get in the way of me earning more money, I'm going to destroy everything about you. And I think he can be very brutal while also being very bored with life. That is a very that is a very good pick. I kept circling him and trying to go to someplace else, and I couldn't do it. And I just ended up coming back to John Cho, and I I couldn't come up with anyone else. I mean, it's hard leading men nowadays. Like you're so right. Like this actor or this part is so vibey like my no one this the original movie like no one else can do that like yeah. michael douglas and like, they, those guys just don't exist and that's where my list is like you could probably name them all and know who they were but i that's where like i sacrifice age for like who has that absolutely. like vapid sort of look but he john cho by the way is 51 years old i, I looked it up is he yep oh my gosh he was just in something i really liked called <laughs> Columbus. Okay. Great movie. I really liked that movie After Yang with Colin Farrell, and so I went back and watched this, this other guy, Kogonada. I know nothing about it, but John Cho is in this movie called Columbus. He's really good in it. He's a great leading man. I think he should be more leading man yeah. um, than he is. And it, he does have that that sort yeah. of, he can do that. That thing. I'm, I'm using my hands a lot, which is perfect for podcasts. Yes. But I, but I actually what we're talking about. If we were going with someone who has the same cultural cachet and vibes at the time, I think you're right. Leonardo DiCaprio is that person because he's, if, if it's not Wall Street, it is Wolf of Wall Street. Right. And he is, the like, you go with your Leonardo DiCaprio or... Um, Christian Bale was another one. Christian Bale we know or fucking Le- Dallas Buyer Club guy whose name escapes me. Jared Leto or no, Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey. Uh, and like like that kind of vibe, you can see them. Be- I yeah. don't think Matthew McConaughey is the right role because his vibes are off. Like he, we think of him as Lincoln Commercial Man, and why Link- he's Lincoln Commercial Man, uh, powered by Wild Turkey. Wrong vibes. But Leonardo DiCaprio yeah. kind of is the right vibes. I but but he has baggage. That's I, exactly one of that's my exactly favorite actors. It. But for this, he has baggage where I don't buy it exactly because he. I, I know I'm repeating myself. He cares about the environment. <laughs> there's cares about the environment. Like, there's cares about the environment, and there's rich person cares about the yes. environment. Some of these very true, wealthy people true, true, who true. I've worked with have charitable organizations where they give money to protect this environmental cause or that environmental cause while still flying private planes, right. which are some of the worst envir- things for the environment in existence. And I 1,000% agree with you, and I thought of that too, but then I'm like, but he just puts off that like puppy dog vibe. Michael Douglas is not a puppy dog. Yeah. And I get it, like the pussy posse, he never dates anyone over 23, all of that. I'm with you, but there was something where I was like, I just, it wouldn't, and I'm probably wrong. Because that's but, why I was gravitating more towards Christian Bale, but sure. even that is like, yeah. he's American but Psycho. That's or, kind of why I think John Cho ends up yeah. being the right call, because like at the end of the day, he can still play a broken, but overwhelmingly powerful man. Right, and he doesn't have audience baggage right. in the same way that I would say Leo then... And we still know. recognize him, yes. which is kind of, I think, unfortunately necessary for this, because we need to believe that, oh, this guy, I would believe this guy's phenomenally wealthy. Yeah. So I would push this to John Cho, which will inform our sibling. But like at the end of the day, who gives a shit? We'll cast whoever the sibling is we want. Like they don't even need to necessarily be related. They mm-hmm. can be like uh, college roommates, whatever. It doesn't matter. Absolutely. But I would push us in that direction. That brings us to Christine. I'll go first for this one. Christine, I wanted someone outside the realm of who rich people typically interact with. So I went for different body type, different kind of environment. I went with 
uh, a woman named Danielle Brooks. She's from Orange is the New Black. She was in Peacemaker. Uh, She's in the new The Color Purple. And she could absolutely play a waitress who spills all of the soup or whatever, or all of the tea Mm -hmm. onto Nicholas Van Orton. And while also being someone who, throughout the movie, both plays victim and manipulator. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of someone who is able to do that sort of role. And, you know, someone who wouldn't initially be like, oh, well, this, uh, this beautiful blonde lady, no way. Right. But also, like, you can also make an argument for, at the sort of restaurants that this character goes to, they would only cast the most beautiful blonde hair, blue eyed waitstaff. Well, and I would say, not to be overly studious, but the game very much owes tribute to Vertigo in some ways. Sure. Also being an obsession-driven movie. And I liked that Fincher, she's a Hitchcock blonde. Yeah. But a Hitchcock dirty blonde a little bit, which I think is intentional. Hell, she's a noir blonde. Yeah. I went the more stereotypical route because I think that the game very much owes tribute to Vertigo. And in in that, you know, Fincher very clearly cast a... Hitchcock Blonde. Yeah. And so I went that route and picked Emma Mackey from Sex Education. That's who that is. Okay. Yeah. She's the one who looks like Margot Robbie but isn't Margot Robbie. And isn't she's, Barbie. <laughs> she's brunette Margot Robbie. Yeah. She's one of the nine people from Sex Education that are in Barbie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a moment where um, she's in Barbie standing next to Barbie and you think it's just like, oh, it's the same Barbie mm-hmm. but with brown hair. That's very cl- Oh, no, that's Emma Mackey. Oh, shit. And she's amazing in that show. Oh, yeah. Um, the fact that all those people are in Barbie is actually a testament to what a great show that is, I think. I don't think it's a coincidence. I mean, almost every major actor from Sex I can't say Sex Education. It's hard to say. Um, but she's great. And she I is. love her in, uh, in that show. And I do like the idea of sort of keeping... I started really loving David Fincher a lot more because of how much he does owe to Hitchcock. And so I think there's something fun about playing that. There's obviously ways to play with Hitchcock blondes while not casting a stereotypical blonde, but that's just where my mind went. She's actually the only one. I only had a list for the main actor, and then the rest I had one pick. (laughs) The only real downside to Emma Mackey is just how young she is. Uh, She's 27. I would be happy going with Emma Mackey if we get to the end. So at the end of the game... Michael Douglas goes and talks to the uh, actress who's playing Christine and basically, like, asks her out. And, he, and she's like, well, when I get back in town, sure, we can go grab yeah. dinner. And, like, play around with that connection a little bit. And I think that if you have 51-year-old John Cho and 27-year-old uh, Emma Mackey, I think we can literally even get to the very end of the movie and have that same scene. But I think in our version, she has to say, look, man, it was just for the role. I appreciate it. That's very sweet. But you're not really, but you're a little old to be my type. And then she gets in the cab and goes away. I mean, I would also argue you don't even need that. We don't even need that scene. Because it's more about. Honestly, that scene was weird for me because, like, you have this whole thing where the movie implies that they drugged him up and he had this wild orgy with this actress, uh, or like, and they set it up to look like that. And, like, that isn't what happened. And I feel like you can still do that in our version of the movie. And then they, but then you just don't have that scene at the end. 
And I think that that's probably fair. Because one of the things I love about it is there could have been an eloquent way for him to, like, throw money in the air and give to people. And he didn't. He sighed and then asked a girl out. Yeah. He was like... I'm just going to work a little bit less, but I'm not, I am keeping all this money that I was afraid I didn't have. And so like that sort of emotional resonance, I think is the more important thing to honor than like, does he actually ask out the girl at the end or not? I think that's um, fair. And I think, and I agree. Emma Mackey is a phenomenal actress and she's also a really good impressionist, which never comes up because she's always playing like the ingenue or whatever. Yeah. And, like, you get her to do weird things, and you put her in different places of this movie where she's playing real weirdos, I think that that's a better opportunity. Like, it's one of the things that she gets asked to do in panel shows or, like, the couch of some late-night talk show. It's like, hey, you can do impressions. Like, yeah, I'm actually really good at a lot of different things and not just playing, like, the attractive one. And I think if you put her in a position where you make her be in, like, when you really fuck with the head of our Nick... And she's like, put her in different places where she's not supposed to be, but playing an entirely different character. Mm. Really leaning in the fact that she is a phenomenal actress, I think that is something that we can and should do. And I think Emma, Emma Mackey would be really good at that. And an age gap is okay. I'm I'm very anti that, like, there's no sexual tension in movies anymore. But I don't think that in this case that's, like, a problem. Because it's yeah. more about, like fake fighting for your survival yeah i Um, and i didn't even feel like there was i didn't really feel like there was necessarily chemistry between the two leads in this movie but i don't think this is a movie that requires that it's like she takes her shirt off and she like they like compliment each other yeah it's just that like old school hollywood thing like there's gotta be a nod in there that like he's gonna get the girl or yeah you know but it's and but like she takes the shirt off and he's just like oh she her shirt is off and it's it's the most (laughs) It's the zaniest movie in the... It's the zaniest move in this whole movie. And it's very weird. It's very... The only reason it happens is so we can see her bra color, so we know that it's her later in the movie. But it's just done very strangely. But yes, I agree with you. So, okay. So, unfortunately, that leads us to Conrad. And we have two very different people, especially because I gender-swapped it. Mm -hmm. uh, And I did a a sister, like a younger sister. Like, definitely a, a second marriage kind of sister. But I understand that that potentially, like, rules out whoever you have. But that doesn't matter. Like, it can be anyone who this, like, the one connection this person has. So who did you have for your Conrad? Yeah, I had no one. Oh. <laughs> well, I I forgot. Um, you forgot Sean Penn existed? I mean, that's reasonable. I didn't forget Sean Penn existed. I think I was thinking more along the lines of... And I think your idea of it just being like the game is out there is better. I had been thinking along the lines of like Sean Penn exists and then this person is like Sean Penn's son or something like that. Uh, so then it was like the flip of the the dynamic of like we see old Sean Penn at some point because he still has that vibe of like, ugh, yeah. come on. Unfortunately, we cannot put son, Sean Penn but... in this movie because I make sure we don't cast right. people who are canceled but like melting their oscars and but like so the person i had was i cast a younger sister where Mm -hmm. clearly more connected more hip and be like haven't you heard of crs i mean yeah but no one really knows what it is i know what it is do you it's gonna change your life here's the card and i think that that's and hilariously i didn't realize that she had the same last name as john cho her name is arden cho she was on Chicago Med. She was on Teen Wolf. She was in something called Freakish. Okay. And she is, I want to say she's 39, 
younger, but not, like, young. Okay. And, I like, I cast her because, like, in the same kind of vibe of, like, alright, this is my younger sibling. I'm constantly cleaning up after her ever since she was a kid. But now, of course, she's the one who's cleaned up and is like, hey, I got something for you. Mm-hmm. Is it drugs? It's not drugs. I'm not doing that anymore. And, like, that sort of can kind of occupy the same space that Sean Penn occupied in the first movie. Right. Of, like... Nicholas Van Horten in the first movie really only had three connections in the world. Oh, four connections. His ex-wife, his little brother, his housekeeper, and his money. And so you, you're thinking of this as someone, like, um, who's done it before. Sort of the Kieran Culkin in Succession. Yes. The Wilder. Yeah. Right, I gotcha. But we'll go with Arden Cho for the time okay. being. Did So I have the, the, the Jim Feingold. I have the actor. I have the lawyer. I have the housekeeper. I have... The housekeeper, the main guy, and the, um... The main guy? The main CRS guy. The, oh. The, uh, the... Jim, the, yeah, yeah. The one Is his the, name Jim Feingold? I think so. The actor that's the, not an actor? Yeah, I literally wrote Jim Feingold, quote, the actor. Okay, yeah. I, the one who signed the headshot and he had the commercial yes. that... okay. Yeah. I have him, the housekeeper, and then the publisher. Oh. The, the book publisher that he, like, takes the money from and... Or not takes the the Armin Mueller Stahl character who what's his name in it Anson Bear I think and it's the kids oh, publishing company oh, 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 and that's oh. sort of the like really evil thing I that did Michael not Douglas cast that guy does. yeah I did not cast that guy okay yeah. we'll do that guy in a second let's talk about the Jim Feingold the actor the performer okay. the person who is eating the Chinese food and mm-hmm. gets uh, Nicholas Van Horten into the system I. I, ca- I went very one-to-one with this casting of, like, well, who could play that now? Who kind of we expect to be middle management, running everything, just getting this guy checked in and just being a blank slate of whatever? And then we find out that he's an actor, and you find out later that he has so much more charisma than that. And there is an actor that we all feel that about, because we've seen him in Brooklyn Nine-Nine and The Good Place, and that is Mark Evan Jackson. I know that name, but for some reason I need to see what his face is. He's, like, the leader of the bad place in, in The Good Place. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, okay. That is exactly one-to-one casting. That's amazing. Um, yeah, so like I was like, this is, yeah. he was the person I did first. It was the easiest. Uh, I was like, yeah, that guy. Right. Great, let's move on. My original idea was James Reborn, and then I found out he was dead. So I, 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 was I, like, ha- I had that for the him. housekeeper. I looked someone up, I was like, she died in 2016? Yeah. And I just got really sad. Because as, as an idea of like, it's not like a full, it's like extending, it's extending what already exists. I thought it would be fun to use that guy again because he's such a great character actor. And yeah. I found out he died in 2014. So then I went down like other, similar to you, but not as clear was Steven Root. Oh, okay. Tell I me about thought, um, the guy from uh, Office Space. Office Space and Barry. And he's done that role. He's one of those guys that, like, Office Space kind of handicapped him for a second because he, like, was just that guy. Yeah. And then you started to realize, like, oh, he can really play he, like that. He is someone who is, who I think constantly catches me off guard with how phenomenal an actor he is. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what you can do. I think Stephen Root is absolutely the right choice for this. Of just being like, oh, he's this incredible, like, like you just see him and you don't even think of Office Space anymore just because he's he portrays himself so differently. And obviously yes. without, like, the Coke bottle glasses yeah, and, like, yeah. being clean shaven. I think that's, I think that's really good. Yeah, we have to do Stephen Root. I had the lawyer who you didn't have. So I'll tell you about the lawyer okay. and then you tell me about uh, the book Great. publisher. 
so my lawyer kind of the guy who's like who nicholas calls be like what's going on he's like are you sure you're okay nick i cast an actor who just kind of like generic act just like you put him together you put him in a suit and you're like yeah that's that guy in the suit um he's been in succession he was in he but he's like he's been around for a while he was in like a random episode or three of ghosts uh it's an actor named mark lynn baker oh from perfect strangers is he i don't know was he in did you say the leftovers i did not is it that guy? Yeah. Yeah, that's Cousin Larry. <laughs> I, I, haven't, I haven't seen it. That's amazing. No, okay. uh, yes. He was on Perfect Strangers for like nine years, but oh, then okay. he plays himself in The Leftovers. Ah. And another guy that has been pigeonholed forever, but is actually, he's yeah. really good playing himself in The Leftovers. Well, I I really know him because I, like, I saw him in these three episodes of Ghosts, and I was like, this guy's yeah. just a really good actor, and he's playing sure. he's playing just a skis ball. Yep. Um, but like he's good at it, so that's why I thought it would be fun as the as the lawyer. Who do you okay. have for Anson Bear? I my first choice was Forrest Whitaker because no. I just thought like he's aged into that sort of like soft like th- that you don't that, want anything bad to happen to him. You don't want anything bad to happen to him, and, and you feel you really feel for this guy in the game, the Armin Mueller style character of like he's being manipulated. He's a children's book publisher, and you're yeah. just like. You know, he's like, what, what, you know, my whole life is this thing. And I feel like Forrest Whitaker can really project that amount. And we especially get to the end of this movie where that character then thanks Nicholas for firing him, (laughs) which is insane to me. That, exactly, that's another point that I forgot of, like, just the whole, like, weirdness of this movie of, like, thank you. Now I just have more time to be wealthy with my wife. Yeah, which is crazy. And so I think that there's something to, like, you know, in a story of, like, who knows, this guy's a real estate mogul, like, fucking Forrest Whitaker's, like, maybe he has, like, hundreds of condominiums in Detroit or something, or just in another city that, you know, this guy is just taking over his family legacy without even, like, thinking about it, or Mm -hmm. even batting an eyelash, or, like, doing something he, he's reneging on something he said. Forrest Whitaker is just another man in the way of his money. Yes. Yeah, good. I think that's incredible casting. And then who did you have for The Housekeeper? I don't want to say this is also a little one-to-one, but it just, I couldn't stop thinking of the comparison. Uh, Leslie Manville. Oh, okay. Phantom Thread. Sure. I just was like, I don't know why I can't get that image out of my mind. Um, Because she's very housekeeper-ish in Phantom Thread in some ways. Sure. And kind of stark and, you know. Yeah, no, that's not that's not bad. I went with a, a, a an actress named Renee Victor. She's one of the voices in Coco. She was in Weeds. She's also in some of the paranormal activities. Whenever I had the opportunity, I was like something creepy in the in the bio of like the pink things I pulled. And mm-hmm. so uh, she's not someone anyone yes. would necessarily recognize offhand, but a, a good actress. And I don't know. I thought she'd be right. fun. But I'm happy to go with Leslie Manville. I, I have no strong well, opinions one way or the not other. Like a major. It's such, it's such an integral it's an part to the role. movie, but there isn't a lot. Yeah. And, you know, obviously in, in this thinking about it as like a legacy extension, like it can be a little bit different than just like the live-in housekeeper that's yeah. been there for a thousand years. I mean, it could like, be... He, at the end of the movie, this 48-year-old man asks his housekeeper, hey, what was my dad like? Mm-hmm. And it's very strange. Um, but yeah, okay. So that's... Uh, we'll go with Leslie Manville. I think that's fine. And But that brings us to writer and director. 
I have separate writer, separate director. Do you have separate or do you have a hyphenate? Separate. I, I didn't do a ton of research on this. I don't know if my answer is too jokey or not. No, I'm okay with it. Okay. Let's do writer first. Let's hear this jokey okay. answer. The writer is me. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I figured that was a possibility. That's that's the... Uh, the Doing this with a bunch of writers recently, it's just like, well, I'm going to write it. I've done all this work. Yes. Yeah. So, obviously. So, here's the person you will be working with, who will do the first pass, and then you'll be the name on the movie. Okay. This is not a well-known name. It's a, as far as I know, he might be, but it's a, it's a writer named Will Tracy. Okay. He worked on Succession. He worked on Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. But more importantly, with his writing partner, he co-wrote The Menu. Right. And better, like, better writer than me. Well, I don't know. He's the one doing the first pass, and then you're the one who's right. finishing the job, so what do I know? That's very good. But, like, literally, the menu succession and last week tonight with John Oliver, like, that's talking about rich people's shit. And specifically the menu. Like, the menu was what I was like, okay, big elaborate thing fucking with rich people. That's a really good comparison, and I would say, I, I liked the menu, but I feel like that's a, that's a really good comparison. Yeah. yeah. But but that's why that's why he's doing the first pass right. and you're doing the final pass. This is that's sort of the over the top version of what was maybe in the mind of of the game. Yeah, and that's not a knock on that movie. No, um, I think we're in a moment where we we kind of want that. People ate <laughs> people ate that movie up. Yeah, they sure did. <laughs> but for that exact reason, yeah, I did not mean to. No, that was not intended. <laughs> Let me tell you about my director. I really cast this director for one reason, one reason only, because like I don't really know any of the other things he's done other than this one movie. Like he worked on something called Flower, he worked on Dollface. I don't really know any of that, but I'm casting. I'm casting. I went with him because he's the director for Ingrid Goes West, which is about the slow manipulation of a rich person. Instagram. Yeah, yeah, right? it's, it's the Aubrey Plaza movie. Yes. Oh, right. That's a great movie. Yeah. And so I was like that is it's it's very different because it's like social media what can we believe what can we not but it is a thriller and it's an Aubrey sure. Plaza thriller where she's manipulating Elizabeth uh 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 Elizabeth, Elizabeth Olsen, Olsen. Yep. Okay. and like kind of turning her in like making that like inserting herself into this life mm-hmm. it's a different vibe but as far as directors go like I thought that's kind of a modern equivalent thriller right. since I didn't want to like I want to do the menu for one and something else for the that other that is a good correlation though to where like, this movie came out before most people even had internet. You know? Yeah. And so to think, like, how differently just our our brains are, let yeah. alone, like, how one could be manipulated. It's, mm-hmm. um, that's, uh, you've been doing this for a while, I I've tell. been doing this for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Especially considering a lot of the things I haven't seen, but it's like, I right. know they're in the zeitgeist. Yes. Who did you have for your director? My, I gave this a little thought, and I will just say David Fincher. He's never done a sequel. Is that not allowed? Of course, it's oh, allowed. You're, I'm you're, gonna, I'm gonna okay. say no, but like, oh. if it's totally allowed, I, and also, or I could, I could say yes. Convince me. Well, like, because it'd be interesting to see David Fincher's version of how to manipulate a rich person now. Yes, I don't think this is a movie he particularly loves as much as some of his other ones. I think he has. So he's probably less precious with it. He's grown exponentially as a filmmaker. Like I said, like he's very good at making populist entertainment that is actually unbelievably substantial and ages very well. And maybe it's my age, I don't know, but this movie, the game in particular, has really grown on me. Rewatching The Social Network, 
that movie is even more haunting than you remember. And he was just very prescient about... Did I say that right? Prescient? Prescient? Like, I remember seeing Social Network. I'm like, oh, wow, that's amazing. What a fascinating story. We were doing stuff like that a couple years ago. (laughs) So now where it's like, oh, this guy made our Terminator 2. And I just think that his grasp of the all-encompassing cinematic language. Mm -hmm. Like, the first five minutes of The Killer is so good. And that's a hot take. I'm sure people are going to be like, what? A hitman just, like, monologuing, staring out a window for five minutes? (laughs) It's fucking perfect. And I just think, like, the ideas that are baked into this movie that I do think are his, because if you look up the other screenwriter credits for the game, the guys who wrote the original... You know, they did, like, Terminator 3 and some other decent genre movies. Nothing that I would consider to be this elevated, so you can tell that he has his stamp on it. And to take something like this that I think could have an evolution to it, because we are now in a place, like, we we were only five years away when this movie came out from exalting Donald Trump, giving him his own television show, giving him Emmy nominations. Like, everyone... The world was not like, fuck this guy. And so to see what this guy could do now, having grown, like like I said, exponentially, I think it would be a perfect way to do like a companion piece. A lot of directors don't make sequels to movies. And when they do, they're usually, it's a, it would be a pretty interesting statement for a pretty interesting And time. it's not a sequel. It's a legacy sequel. Exactly. It's a soft reboot. Because the, I, but because the idea behind it has grown, yeah. I think. All right. You've convinced me we'll go with David Fincher. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So let me take you through our cast for the game. Nicholas Van Orton will be played by John Cho. Christine, or whatever her real name is, will be played by Emma Mackey. Conrad will be Arden Cho. Jim Feingold, the actor, will be Stephen Root. The lawyer will be Mark Lynn Baker. Book publisher Anson Bayer will be Forrest Whitaker. The housekeeper will be Leslie Manville. All of this will be written by Will Tracy and Sean Lavery, and not Ampersand, and then directed by David Fincher. That is the game. Sean, you gonna go see this movie and or buy it when it's a Blu-ray Criterion collection? I already own it. Yeah. I'm staring at it. No, I meant this one, our version. Oh, 100%. My son's my son really wants me to make a movie so scary that the president says no one can watch it. So let's go for it. Let's aim for that. Oh, great. I love it. Perfect. Then, yeah, we did it. Thank you so much for being my guest and making me watch this movie. Now's Thank the time you. for, like, plugs and social medias and whatever you want people to do. The call to action. Uh, did I win the game? You have won I won't the... know until I... Well, uh, based on the ga- the thing we all did from the 90s, even okay. mentioning it means we have lost the game. There's going to be a clown on the hood of my car with a key in it. And... I mean, you did park in the street, so unfortunately... Yeah, it's possible. I have nothing to plug. You can find me on Instagram and Letterboxd, SeanLavery78, if you want to see my hot takes and pictures of my kid. What's your version? What, not, what your, what's your version? What's your spelling of the name, Sean? S-E-A-N. There you go. Yeah. And I have nothing to plug. I pitched a show a few weeks ago uh, to that person. If they want to buy it, that would be great. But <laughs> They're uh, definitely listening. I, I hope so. <laughs> well, you're clearly good at this. Oh. 
If anyone is interested in following me, I am on uh, Blue Sky at Sam Gash, S-A-M-G-A-S-C-H. Or you can follow the podcast, which is on Instagram at Ideal Remake, which is also mostly me. It's a lot of strike pictures and stuff. Or it was a lot of strike pictures, but we're not on strike anymore. Woo! And yeah, if you want to have conversations about the game, about how you would manipulate people, you can always join the Discord and chat with me there, the Dueling Genre Discord, which has a link in the show notes for this very episode. But we will end this episode the same way I end every episode. Sean, what is your favorite quote from the movie, The Game? You don't know anything about society, Marie. You don't have the satisfaction of avoiding it.